Good evening, Gaspel Baptist. Another Wednesday night during the COVID epidemic. I'm glad that you're tuning in. I hope that you're well. I pray that you had a Merry Christmas. Uh, this is the last Wednesday night of 2020. As we approach 2021, uh, join me in praying that it'll be a better year for everyone, for the world, uh, for our country, for our community. Uh, let's pray that God will glorify himself and bring an end to this pandemic and that people will have to say it's not just a bunch of shots or inoculations, but it was God who took care of it and took care of us because that is the truth. Tonight, we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Mark 10, 46 through 52. And I've entitled it, Don't Just Survive, Thrive. Don't Just Survive, Thrive. And so, uh, let's uh, read the scripture and then we'll have a word of prayer. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude... Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat on the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he called out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for uh, your word. Thank you uh, for the upcoming new year. Lord, you be glorified in it through us and, and uh, through our lives. Let us live for you. Help us to be the salt and light you intended us to be wherever you have planted us. Father, it's been a long year. There's a lot of loneliness and a lot of depression, a lot of people sick. Uh, the COVID cases just keep rising. Now there's another strain that's terrorizing everyone. Father, in the midst of this, we look to you. You are God Almighty. You are the great healer and physician. You are the one ultimately in control. Father, glorify yourself by stopping this pandemic. Father, glorify yourself so that it will be said that it was a miracle. It only has to come from you, Father. Father, bring revival uh, to my heart, to the church's heart, to our community's heart. Our state, our nation needs revival. Our world needs revival. Continue to be with those who put themselves in harm's way for our benefit. And Father... Help us as we study your word tonight and make it come alive. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we look at this passage of scripture and I'm reminded of a story, a true story. A number of years ago in Washington, D.C., uh, a man was coming back. He'd been out of town and he was traveling back on the train and he was headed home. 
It was very late at night, and all at once his train came to a complete standstill, and he thought, oh my goodness, what now? I'm never going to get home. I've got to go to work tomorrow. And so he asked the conductor, and he said, well, the car in front of us is off the track, and we cannot go forward. And so the conductor stepped out and was getting off the train. The guy just followed him, even though it was a cold, dark night outside. And sure enough, as he followed the conductor, they got there, and with the flashlights, they saw a car that had been on a train in front of them, and it was partially on the track and partially off the track. And so the guy looks at the conductor and said, it seems that the car isn't off the track. If it were, we could go on. And the conductor said, you're right. If it were totally off the track, we'd just fly right on by. But it's partly on and partly off. So we're stuck. And I think too many people, especially Christians, live their lives that way, partly on and partly off, stuck. Just surviving, but not thriving. Even though Jesus said he came that we, he might, we might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, even though he said he would leave his joy with us. Even though he said uh, not to fear this world, we'd have trouble in it, but he had conquered the world. And rather than thriving God's people God's church is all almost without exception just surviving so what's going on we need to remember that Jesus gives us wholeness of life and wholeness doesn't mean the lack of conflict or the lack of troubles but it means a peace that passes understanding it means that we're moving forward in our spiritual walk with God it means our faith is growing it means we're being the disciples that we're to be we're being salt and light we're striving for that day when there'll be no more striving and so if you've ever wanted to thrive and not just survive I think we see three things here from the life of blind Bartimaeus that will help us not just survive, but thrive. And the first one is this. If we would not just survive, but thrive, we must seize the opportunities that God presents to us. We must seize the opportunities that God presents to us. In verses 46 and 47, we see this. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, this is speaking of Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat on the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, we see here someone who is hopeless, Catch a whiff of hope. Into a darkness, he's sitting there doing what the beggars of his day did. They would sit there with a cup or a bowl and they would holler at people that went by, alms, alms for the poor, help, alms for the poor, please help me, alms for the poor. And as far as we know, his life would always be that way, as far as he knew. He's begging. He's begging for the generosity, the, the kindness, the compassions of people who pass by. And they're the very people who, by his presence, made them uncomfortable. They didn't want to be around him and see him in that condition. It's like us sometimes when we pass those who are homeless. We, we fail to see the person. We see the problem. And yet, here he is. But that changes in a moment. 
when Jesus comes unto the scene. I always re realize when Jesus shows up, things change. Because when Jesus shows up, Bartimaeus is sitting there and he hears him talking about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And hope springs in his life. This is the Jesus he has heard about but never been able to get anybody to take him to see him. He has heard about him healing other blind people. He has heard about the miracles he has done and feeding the 5,000. He's heard the various things that had happened. And Jesus healing lepers and Jesus healing others. Surely this Jesus is an answer to his prayers to God about his blindness. And he's going to seize the opportunity God has given him. Because in the Greek it means he cried out with a loud voice and he kept crying out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In other words, Jesus, help me. Heal me, Jesus. And it stands in quite a contrast because... When we read this section of Mark 10, beginning verse 46, we see blind Bartimaeus. If you back up in Mark 10, to beginning verse 17, you see the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He comes and he speaks to Jesus. He comes and he uh, bows at Jesus' feet. He comes and he visits with Jesus. But he goes away sad because he refuses to follow Jesus. He refuses to believe Jesus and his opportunity is lost forever. We're never told anything else about the rich young ruler. He disappears from the scene having lost his opportunity because he refused to follow Jesus. And in stark contrast, here's blind Bartimaeus. You can see him just almost trying to get up, trying to holler, trying to get to Jesus. Because Jesus can help him. We need to seize our opportunities. A lot of us buy jeans, and I don't know what kind you buy, but we used to be that Levi's were very popular when I was a teenager. And like other men, Levi Strauss went to California in hopes of making a fortune. And he did make a fortune, but not in the way he had planned. He set out with a load of heavy canvas fabric and he planned to make small sections for tents and wagon covers. Upon arrival, the first miner came by his, his uh, uh, wagon and looked in and said, Ah, we don't need that. You should have brought jeans. We don't have any work pants that'll hold up to this work. You should have brought jeans. And in a moment of inspiration, Levi Strauss sewed him up a pair of trousers and when he went and told others pretty soon he was sold out and had to bring more in and thus Levi's became a brand name work pants but you see that only happens when we seize opportunities opportunities are only opportunities when we grab a hold of them opportunities are only opportunities when we embrace them as such could have been a problem. I've spent all this money. I've come all this way. And all I've got is something nobody wants. They got plenty of tents. They got plenty of wagon covers. They need jeans. What am I going to do? He takes that material and cuts the guy a pair of jeans. Levi's. Opportunity. Now, during 2021 as it approaches, what doors do you think stand open for you? What doors do you... Hope and pray that God will open for you, for the church, for our country. 
Maybe today you need to be saved. That door's open. He's talking to your heart. You've put it off and you've put it off. But this is your opportunity to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's to surrender to a fuller service. Maybe it's uh, to recommit your life. Maybe it's to join the church. Uh, what is your God-given opportunity today? We tend to think that it's just luck and happenstance, but I want to tell you something. We don't believe in luck and happenstance. Our God takes care of us and He opens those doors for us that are our golden opportunities. Are you willing to seize your opportunity? You won't recognize it if you're not spending time with God in prayer. You won't recognize it and know for sure that's what God wants you to do if your prayer isn't guided by your Bible study. You won't recognize it if you're not getting advice from godly Christian people whom you trust that sort of all lines it up so you know this is my opportunity. I'm going for it. This is what God would have me to do. So the first thing we need to do is seize our opportunities. The second thing to do in order to thrive and not just survive is this. We need to silence the critics that clamor around us. He's crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, then many warned him to be quiet. He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus had plenty of critics. Be quiet. Be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's headed for Jerusalem. Don't you hear all this crowd? He is so busy doing ministry. He doesn't have time for somebody who can't even see to get to him. You be quiet. And Bartimaeus wouldn't do it. They didn't. He told him to hush and he said, no. He didn't listen. He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He would not listen to the critics. My question is, do we? Even David, the great king of Israel, didn't listen to the crickets, critics and detractors. He had a lot of them saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, for instance, when he's getting ready to fight Goliath, his oldest brother Eliab um, said, why have you come down here? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. And I think that's uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, it's in verse 28. But critics, he wouldn't listen. When everybody else was telling him, you can't fight this guy, he's too big, he's too powerful, he's too knowledgeable in war, you can't do it. But David said, with my God, I can do it. He wasn't going to listen to the critics. Robert uh, Fulton introduced the first uh, steam engine on a steamboat. And he had plenty of cr critics on the banks. And they began to chant, it will never start. It won't start. It won't start. And the whole crowd joined in the chorus. And after some more tinkering and banging around, he started it. And as it began to move down the stream, they silenced for just a moment. And then as they ran down the banks after him, they said, it won't stop. It won't stop. But it did. It revolutionized the riverboat industry. And the, the whole point is this. We must not strive to please the critics because we never can. We never will. The chief critic is the devil. He stirs people up. 
He wants to discourage us. He wants to depress us. He wants to defeat us. He doesn't want us working for God. He wants to make sure that there's lots of people telling us we can't do it. And I'm here to tell you an important lesson. 90% of the time, he uses church folks to do that. For some reason, we have this mistaken notion that we're on the divine critic committee. But when I look at criticism, I see that there's no place in the Bible that says there's a spiritual gift of criticism. Criticism is usually from the pits of hell. If you're guilty of that, Christian, back up, repent, and do away with that sin. That discourages more young Christians than anything else. You can't do that. We don't do things that way. Oh, you didn't work through the proper channels. You can't do that. You better stop that right now. Not if God told them to, they don't. We need to ask ourselves, have we been guilty of that? When we hear the criticism, we just say, ah, oh, that's enough, I quit. Do we give up? Do we join their ranks and criticize everybody that comes along after us because we were criticized? See, we need to understand that Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He also said in 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Holy Spirit, we need to rely on God. We need to silence the critics around us by doing God's will. It doesn't mean we're arrogant. It doesn't mean we're rude. It doesn't mean we're ugly. We're to do everything in a loving way so that we're winsome for Christ. And that means that we're attractive to other people. The Christ we have is attractive to others because we're not hateful and rude and, and uh, critical. See, if we're going to thrive and not just survive, then we have to silence the critics. We have to seize our God-given opportunities and the last thing we have to do, we need to service the faith that God has given us. Service the faith that God has given us. In other words, put it to use. Put it to practice. Look at verses 49 through 52. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying, Arise, be of good cheer. Rise, he's calling you. Well, they changed their tune quickly. And throwing aside his garments, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Duh, Jesus, I'm blind. But he didn't say that. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's a term of respect. That I may receive my sight. And notice Jesus' response. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. We need to service the faith that God has given us. See, Bartimaeus was bold. He was brash. He, he was persistent. He had a dogged determination. He wasn't going to let loose of his opportunity. He wasn't going to listen to anybody else. He'd been praying about this evidently. He had faith that this man, this Jesus, was the Messiah. This Jesus was the one he had waited for. This Jesus could relieve his misery and suffering he experienced all of his life by giving him his sight back. And nothing was going to deter him. But you see, it wasn't the dog of determination. It wasn't even the persistence that got the attention of Jesus. It wasn't the loud screaming. 
I believe that Jesus could feel and see his faith. And Jesus stops. You see, faith not only believes, it acts. He calls out, he calls out, he's believing, but it acts. And then when Jesus stops and says, bring him here, they say, rise, rise, get up. Now, here's what I mean. He threw aside his garment and came to Jesus. You see, why did he throw his garment aside? Because a seeing man didn't need a blind man's apparel that identified him as one of a blind man. He threw it aside. He was going to see. He wasn't going to need that anymore. He didn't need to be a blind beggar anymore. Jesus was going to heal him. And Bartimaeus acted by responding to Jesus. Faith believes and then faith acts. Oh my. See, coming to Jesus wasn't enough. Speaking to Jesus wasn't enough. The rich young ruler, as we talked about earlier, had done both those things. And yet there was no change in his life and he went away sorrowful because he refused to believe in Jesus and follow him. Bartimaeus doesn't. Verse 52 tells us that as soon as he received his sight, Jesus said, go your way, your sight has made you well. But he followed Jesus on the road to Jericho. Followed Jesus. Are we following Jesus? Are we doing what Jesus would have, have us to do? It sort of works like this. Faith is contagious. Uh, Jerry Vines, a retired pastor from Florida, uh, wrote in his book, Exploring the Gospels on the Gospel of Mark, that one of our medical missionaries had performed surgery on a poor blind man and had restored his sight. And as he's recovering, they, he was so happy and joyful and the doctor was happy to have him around. The nurses were happy to have him around. And then they noticed one day, he just disappeared. He wasn't around anymore. Then early one morning, the doctor opened the clinic doors for our people to start coming in. And there was the blind man, that had, or the man who could see now, that had his sight restored. And he had a rope in his hand. And on the other end of the rope, there were 10 blind people that he knew that he went and got to bring them to the doctor who could help. That's a faith that acts. We who know Jesus need to bring people who need help to Jesus. Because when Jesus shows up, nothing is ever the same. You see, when we exercise our faith, it's contagious. And we need to ask, are we exercising it? Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, in one of his books told the story about a goose. The goose had been wounded, and the goose landed in a barnyard. And the goose, as he's there, the farmer didn't kill him. He let him alone, and he noticed the goose was making friends with the chickens and playing with the chickens and eating the corn of the chickens. And when the goose got well, he figured he'd fly off. And one day, there was a flight of geese coming over, and, and the farmer thought, this is it. He saw the goose's head lift up and hear the cry of the wild. And he flapped his wings, and in a little bit, he flapped his wings and got off the ground. And then he stopped, and he just went right back down to the muck and the mire of the barnyard. You see, that goose is wild who's made to fly on heights, but he settled for a little corn in the mud. He settled for less than what he was created for. And when we just survive rather than thrive, we settle in the muck and mire of the world and a little bit of corn. And we survive, but we settle for less than what God intends for us. We don't thrive. One of the reasons that churches are not thriving is we settle for less. We settle for less. 
And yet Jesus wants to give us wholeness of life. For some, you don't have life. The scripture is very plain, beginning with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave the world his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And then verse 18 is one of the keys we don't often remember. He who believes is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son, Jesus. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are a spiritual dead person. You need to straighten that up. It's your opportunity. You can pray right where you are to confess your sins and believe in Christ and ask Him to be the Lord of your life, the boss of your life. Maybe you've been wandering around wondering where your church home is, but you know this is the place God wants you to join, and we'll do that on Sundays. And give an invitation. You can join by baptism if you're from another denomination, saying that you submit to the teachings of our church or by a letter from a church of like faith and order, or by a statement. Some have been out of church so long they can't remember where there, there was. They knew they were saved. They knew they were baptized in church. They don't know where the letter was. And so you'll join, I believe, as you believe, and put your life and work here. Some need to come in rededication. You've been surviving, moaning and groaning, disillusioned, but God wants to give you wholeness of life. He wants you to thrive. Maybe you need to surrender some kind of special call to service, to witnessing, to tithing. I don't know, but God knows. But for the new year, do you want to thrive and not just survive? It takes an all-out commitment to Jesus to do that because He's going to give us a wholeness of life in the midst of circumstances, good and bad, that we can thrive in as we trust in Him. Have a happy New Year's, church. Be good and be careful. I'll see you the next time.